Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. And welcome back. I am here in Boston. Uh, Jen, my guest here, is not. We are doing a round of uh, of social distancing interviews here for the next couple of weeks. Um, so I've got <laughs> Jen Miller uh, tuning in from her home. Uh, is that in New Jersey? Yes, it's in Audubon, New Jersey, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on today, Jen. Um, do you want to give a little intro as to uh, as to who you are? Sure. Uh, my name is Jen A. Miller. I am the author of the memoir, Running a Love Story. I also write the New York Times running newsletter slash column, which comes out every Saturday. Awesome. So how did you get into, let's start with writing. So what what made oh. you interested in in that passion? I went to college for marine biology, believe it or not, but I always was a a writer. Like I just like typed on the typewriter my mom gave me and wrote little stories. And I wrote the sequel to Bridge to Terabithia for some reason. Um, But I got to college and I realized that I would get pretty bored in a lab. So I switched my major to English literature and joined the student newspaper, which was a weekly publication. And like, we didn't have a journalism program there. There was one journalism class and nobody on the paper took it. So I started doing that and I realized that that was kind of fun. Uh, I never thought it would be a job. (laughs) I actually never thought that I would want to do it um, because I didn't like doing news. I, I just didn't, that I didn't dig it. And I did an internship one summer in Washington, DC, working for a news service, which was like the AP, but the poor man's AP. And I hated it. And everybody was miserable. (laughs) So I decided I was going to become an English professor and um, got rejected from 13 PhD programs. And uh, I think I applied to 14. And the one that accepted me didn't offer me any financial aid. And I thought that was silly, like no TA, no nothing. Um, So I went to Rutgers Camden, which is a smaller campus. They said, get your master's and then maybe we'll bring you up to the PhD. And it was also near where I grew up. So I, um, I did that and I, they had a, a seminar for us if we wanted to take it about creative nonfiction. And for one of our classes, the instructor brought in a fr- full-time freelance writer who wrote for big magazines. And I didn't realize that was a thing. And once I learned it was a thing, I decided I wanted to do that thing. <laughs> um, so I started doing it on the side. I got a job working at an Ivy League school medical center doing public relations and interviewing researchers. If you read press releases, researchers have found that blah, 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 blah. And since I had a science background, I was pretty good at that. And um, eventually, one of the magazines I wrote for, the editor quit. And I called her boss and said, can I have her job? 
And he said, yes, well, after he interviewed me. And I did that for almost a year. And then the magazine was in financial trouble. My paycheck bounced. And I said, I might as well just freelance until I go broke. And that was 15 years ago. So here I am. <laughs> That's an awesome story. Um, recently, you put out a, uh, an article on basically how to make it as a freelancer. Uh, do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that? I think, I think there sure. are a lot, of, a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are either interested in freelancing or they're, they're currently freelancers looking to um, improve what they're doing. Sure. So uh, I, don't, I was calling it a white paper, but I don't think that quite went over. People didn't understand what I meant. So we're just calling it an ebook. It's about 10,000 words. It's called um, How I Made $135,000 in One Year of Freelancing. And that's exactly what it is. Um, I am a six-figure freelancer. Um, I, in that ebook, outline how I got my top four clients of 2019. And some of them, it, it tells all the marketing tactics step-by-step and how I landed those clients. Going back to the only one that I actually name is the New York Times because it's pretty obvious who it is if you know anything about me. <laughs> I write this yeah. I write this publication's writing newsletter. Gee, I wonder who it is. Uh, and I started writing for them in 2006. So um, it just goes, it explains step by step how you can build a solid client base. And also that I still do a lot of science and technical writing. And with what's going on right now, I have clients who need a lot of work and I'm going to be really busy um, because I have that kind of expertise. It's just the way, I mean, it's the way that I built my freelance business. Most six-figure freelancers I know, they do all kinds of stuff that I ever heard of. One of my friends does the social media for one of the Queer Eye guys, um, but she can't tell us which one it is. She's like, she probably shouldn't tell us she does. Um, she ghostwrites for famous celebrities. I mean, it's just, everybody sort of builds it in different ways. And the way that that what I explain in that is how I built it around being a health science technical writer and write the running column for the New York times, you know, sure. Very cool. So let's start with the, the running column for the New York times. How did that come about? I have been writing for the New York times since 2006. I started writing for this section called well in uh, 2010 and it's an online only section. Although now there's sometimes the articles go into print and sometimes my stories end up in the sports section and the health section. Um, and I started writing for them in 2010 and I just continued to write, uh, for them. And when my book came out in 2016, they decided that they were going to increase their running coverage. And I had been writing a weekly column for the Philadelphia Inquirer at the time. And I thought I can't do both. And so I started doing more of my running writing for them. And then in 2017, they launched this newsletter and they had somebody else on staff writing it. And they, you know what, you know who we think you would want to do this more and understand sort of what's going on in the world of running more. And so I've written everyone since August of 2017. Very cool. How do you get the, the inspiration behind what you're going to write on a weekly basis? Sometimes they suggest stuff to me. Sometimes it's um, what's going on in other sections of the paper. So when Lindsey Krause was doing all that work with Nike and maternity coverage and Mary Kane, obviously we were, I was going to write about that. Um, not necessarily my own take, but sometimes the, the newsletter is to get information from all sports. Of the, sorry, let me try that again. It gets people who are interested in running all of the content in the paper that might interest them. So sometimes it really is just highlighting what somebody else is doing. And other departments will email me, hey, I have this coming out. Can you highlight it? Um, or can you at least link to it at the bottom? And sometimes it's just whatever I think 
is going on that might be worth talking about. Like this week, I knew we were going to be covering race cancellations in some sort of way. Um, and the tricky part with a weekly column is something breaks and you can't do it right then. So it's it's weekly. So it's it, you have to cover stuff on a weekly basis. basis. Like something that's important on Monday might not be important on Friday. And then that's when I write it and it comes out on Saturday. So um, this week's, we knew it was going to be about cancellations. We didn't know which cancellations it was going to be. Uh, we figured something was going to happen with Boston and then London happened. And I wasn't even, that wasn't, I knew that there was a possibility of a change. It just wasn't on my radar. So we changed it and, and sort of got it out. But the general idea was, you know, I sort of take the temperature of what other runners are saying on Twitter, on Facebook. Sometimes I'll talk to people in the industry to see what's going on. This week I talked to um, Bob Bickle, who's the owner of Run Sign Up, which is the second largest race registration registration company, I believe, in the country. Mm-hmm. To see, because they're doing a lot of like working with race directors on all these cancellations and what they should do. And I was seeing what what's happening on his end. So, you so know, what, was, what is happening on on his end or, or they're, the race they're, directors? They're end? trying to figure it out because um, they've never had anything like this happen before. Right. I think we're all sort of figuring it out. The one thing that I didn't put in the column was that they're working with race directors who they're their race fees are non-refundable. People signed mm-hmm. up. It's non-refundable. And people are arguing the charges with their credit card companies wow. and claiming it as fraud. As fraud? Wow. Yeah. Um, which sometimes a credit card company sides with the consumer. And then the race has to lose. It, it's very complicated. And I almost put it in and I didn't because I didn't want to give people that idea. <laughs> Um, because what I ended up saying was, you know, three parts, um, you're, you're totally allowed to feel sad, angry, upset that your race is canceled because we're runners. We've been working on these things. Um, but step two, don't be a jerk to these race directors. And even like someone was, you know, somebody even today was like, oh, this big organization. I'm like, you know, they're people too. Like they're, (laughs) they're, you know, run by robots. Right. Like I've had conversations with people this week and they're on the verge of tears about all this, having to cancel these events and not feeling like they were doing the right thing or had a good option. Um, And so then the third one was, you know, if your race hasn't been called off, keep training, but, you know, make a plan of what's going to happen if it's not going on. My trail marathon is still on. I can't imagine that it's going to happen. When is that? um, April 18th. And it's a, it's a Philadelphia race. And if all events over 250 people, it's a 500 person race. Like, and I don't really feel like training for that right now. Um, so I might just not go anyway. My goal, Mm -hmm. I've sort of switched it is to just run an hour every day and that's Mm -hmm. it. And I don't use Strava. I don't have a GPS watch. So whatever mileage it is, (laughs) whatever mileage it is, it is. And that's it. So I, there's a fascinating conversation going around on social media recently. I'm sure you've seen the, the exploration of, of reassessing why you run. And right. um, Alphine even was, was chiming in with Aaron Strout uh, earlier that. today. And, and I think it's, it's, a really good, um, it's a really good exercise, pun intended, to, to think about that. Um, it's not just train, race, train, race, train, race. But um, we're in a cycle here where it's train, 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 unknown. So for a lot of people who who run to race, they're, they might be a little lost. Um, so as I mentioned, the goal of this podcast is exploring the why and understanding 
why it is that that you race or why it is that you run. And the majority of people that I have on here are high-performing athletes or high-performing professionals, mostly high-performing professional athletes, but um, I have plenty of high-performing professionals on here and, and the, yourself included, obviously. And, and the, the goal or sorry, the, um, the consistency amongst the high performers in both in, in running performance and, uh, professional performance is a focus on the process and a focus on, um, the journey and not the outcome. So as someone who, as someone who has potentially considered that question, why is it that, that you run? Huh. I wrote a whole book about it. Everybody should buy it while they're uh, cooped up. I don't like give us, racing. Give us the teaser. Yeah. I don't like racing. I don't like it. I find it very stressful. Um, mm-hmm. and too many things can happen on the day mm-hmm. to sort of wipe out your whole training. I like training. I like right. training because I work from home. I live alone. My job can be extremely stressful because running your own business can be extremely stressful. I, it's, there's no other income to back me up. It's just whatever I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a while, you know, 2017, I mean, I, everybody knows how much money I made last year because I wrote <laughs> that, that ebook. You know, I, I had gone from earning about $90,000 a year to 55000 because I was having mental health issues. And so, like, that's very stressful to not have that much income. Um, but running is something that I can do for myself. And if I'm not dragging the dog along with me because she wants to come and then sometimes changes her mind, it's just space. Mm-hmm. Like, especially right now to go out in the morning and run for an hour is the best thing I can do for me. And, you know, hill repeats and track workouts, like it's, I don't care. Like, I just don't care. I need this physical thing to get my body moving. And even if I'm listening to like, I listened to the pop culture happy hour podcast this morning, which is, you know, fun and, you know, company and I'm running around wondering why people are still going out to breakfast together. Like I just, you know, I didn't even get to hug my mother today. Yeah. Um, sorry. I, I saw the, I saw the photo of your social distancing with your mother. That six, you, you were, six you were feet serious apart. Yeah. We were well six done. feet apart um, <laughs> sitting in her backyard talking, yeah. but six, six feet apart. Um, but that run is just my time. No matter yeah. what, it's my time. And she went out for a run too, for the same reason. So sorry, it got choked up there. <laughs> it's okay Gosh, this sucks um but it's better to run and, yeah. and the same thing of walking i'll take annie on a long walk today it's the same sort of thing but so, it's for me it's selfish it's for me <laughs> no it's it's so so i travel a lot and i get the reminder uh, the literal reminder put your mask put your own mask on before helping yeah. those around you and every time i hear the flight attendant say that i smile because it's it's true but uh, and I like to interpret that as not literal. Like you need to do the things that are important for you before you can show up for anybody else around you. Right. Um, and I think that there's a lack of that in society today. And there's a, um, I don't know, like a, like a, you, people think that they're that they're. I don't. I'm trying to figure out how to say this without um, offending people, but. There's a there's sort of like an expectation that you're you should be a hero and you should do a million things and you should um, 
you know, wear a million hats, but if you, if you can't, if you can't do what you need to do for yourself, you can't do anything else for anyone around you. Um, so it's quite literally, you know, put your own mask on before helping those around you. I have, I have friends and, and people I know that are in healthcare and, yeah. um, they find themselves noticing that they're not doing what they need to do for themselves. And, um, everybody needs the reminder whether you know it's from the airplane flight attendant or not um you gotta you gotta show up for yourself first right um so mental way of centering me yeah go ahead mental health let's go (laughs) (laughs) mental health is is a is a topic that's very important to me as well i've seen a therapist for a few years now and um maybe 15 years before that i also or i guess 20 years before that uh, as a kid i saw i was seeing one and I think it's so important, especially in this day and age. So let's talk about let's talk about your journey with mental health if you're if you're open to it. Yeah. Um let me take a sip of water before we get to that. <laughs> maybe maybe pet Annie a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> she's listen, she's on the couch. I don't want her to think that it's time for a W A L K. Because that's in a half hour from now. Um <laughs> when I started running, I started running for a magazine story. Um it was when before online coaches were really a thing. That's how old I am. And it was, I was going to run a 5k and use this online coach and I hate running. So it'd be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I did the, um, I did that and I finished third in my age group, which was exciting. I never thought I would actually be good at running. I mean, it was a small local race and I ran a 22, 12. Um, I've never got, I've never run that. That was your first 5k. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, because I quickly went to running longer races and I specifically trained for that right, 5K. And um, I was seeing someone at the time who was an alcoholic and was not very nice to me. And, you know, body image issues, he kept wanting me to be smaller and I was cringing and purging and it was just really bad. And um, he broke up with me right after my grandfather died, soon after my grandfather died. And he, this is, this is in the book. And I said it at every speaking event I did. He held my hand, looked me in the eyes and said, I'll keep you in the top eight of my MySpace friends. (laughs) And this was after he told me he was leaving me for someone younger and hotter than me. (laughs) And he was older than me. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, but I got to write about him in the New York Times. So I win. Um, (laughs) That was the part of the book they excerpted, which was hilarious (laughs) and also quite scary. Um, For the long run, uncut. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, I was a freelancer and it was right after the recession. I had just bought a house and I lost half my clients. So like there was no money for therapy. And this was before the Affordable Care Act. So mental health was not mandatory to be covered. Um, New Jersey actually was better than most states. They couldn't discriminate against you for having a pre-existing condition. They just sent you a chart and it was based on your age and gender because they like to charge women a lot more back then. Oh yeah. But you couldn't lose your health insurance um, and you couldn't be denied health insurance because of pre-existing conditions. But anyway, mental health was not, that treatment wasn't available and um, I couldn't afford it. So we were cleaning out my grandparents' house because after my grandfather died, my grandmother slipped into dementia and had to go into uh, assisted living. And I just remember walking upstairs. They had a second floor where like grandkids stayed because they had lived on the first floor. And I just laid down on the floor and started crying. 
And my mom's like, I think you need therapy. And so I signed up for a 10 mile race instead. Now I'm not saying that it one replaces the other as I have learned, but it just, I couldn't even get my wash. I couldn't even afford to get my washer fixed at the time. Yeah. So I trained for this 10 miler and I, I ran it for a couple years straight and it was in March at the Jersey shore and you were always running against the wind and it was bitter and it was cold. And I loved every second of it. And I loved the training. Like there was no, it, I wasn't racing and I just wanted to see if I could actually finish it. Right. Was that um, the longest you had ever run? Oh yeah. And um, I was like, wow, that's really great. And then the next year I did it again and the same race. And I, I think I, I cut like 16 minutes off my time or something ridiculous um, because I wasn't doing one, run, walk, run, which I did right. the first time. And so running sort of became like, like the metronome of my life. And um, I had been in a, I had been living with someone and things went south and I moved out and um, you know, it was, it wasn't great. Also in my book, very exciting. Um, and I decided to do the Hanson's marathon method to train for the 2013 New Jersey marathon. And I don't know if your readers know about, I'm sure, I'm, list, I'm sure most of your listeners know who the Hanson brothers are. Um, their training group in Michigan, Des Linden was part of their team for a long time and they released their marathon method for like regular schmucks like me. <laughs> um, and I was, as far as I know, I was the first journalist to try it. Um, cause I know my friends who worked at runner's world at the time had taken a look at it and gone, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so for someone like me, who's a four something marathoner to be running 56 miles a week is a lot of time on your feet. Mm-hmm. I have never run more in my life. Um, and I PR'd by like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it was the first time I, my legs hadn't like completely broken down in a marathon and I screamed across the finish line and it was wonderful. So, um, running sort of helped me through the dips and turns and until it was not enough. Um, I had owned a house for 10 years, the one that I had fought to keep during the recession. And when I lived with my ex-boyfriend, I rented it out and then I moved back into it. And, um, it was a row home, I guess, town home is what folks will call it in other areas and that they were old homes connected together. Mm-hmm. Um, and my neighbor at the time was not taking care of her house and her not taking care of her house started damaging my house to the point of um, $15,000 in damage with water pouring through my house um, wow. from a hole in her roof. Pretty bad. <laughs> and um, I tried my best to work with her, work through it, not get lawyers involved. And, you know, my front door was warped. I couldn't shut it. I couldn't lock it. And um, I went away to North Carolina actually to go run with the Zap team mm-hmm. um, and one of their running camps because I was writing a story about what it's like to go to running camp. And it was awesome. And I loved it. And I came home and she still hadn't done anything. So I had to hire a lawyer and um, approach the town about what are they going to do? You know, you're my uncle had been this, I'm getting really into this, but whatever. Where are we where are we going to go? Um, yeah. My uncle good. had been my uncle had been head of the planning commission for a while in that town, and he said, "Well, they'll just treat her like a negligent landlord." And instead, the the mayor forwarded all my emails to her father, who's his buddy and an attorney, and they threatened to sue me for harassment and defamation of character <laughs> unless I agreed to pay for half of all the repair costs. Wow! Um, I would be responsible for all the repair costs to my house even though she did it. And I had an engineering report saying, well, yeah, she just didn't take care of her house. There was a giant hole in her roof. And a brick wall we share was about to fall down because she let all the, the pointing had been falling out. 
anyway, it was, it was, it was awful. And she would like flip me off and call me a whore when our paths cross. And when I was home working, she would push her speakers up against the wall and like, it was awful. And knowing that really healthy neighbor, uh, (laughs) I can't, I cannot even tell you what I was calling her as a nickname (laughs) because it's really nasty, but this person was destroying my life. Um, And obviously that living in that environment is no good. (laughs) And um, I reached a conclusion that the only thing I could do was sell my house and and leave. Um, Because, you know, I could, the mayor was on her side. Like I, like if I turned the wrong way, I I was worried she was going to have me arrested. Right. Um, So two weeks uh, after all the work was done, my dog died. (laughs) So. Oh no. (laughs) Real bad. Um, So, uh, Man, I'm crying a lot today. Not <laughs> okay. Annie's fine. <laughs> this was my first dog. Uh, most most popular thing I've ever written for the New York Times. The only time I've gone viral is about my first dog dying. So people, I just people love dogs. Oh, they're the best. Thank God, of Annie, right? Um, exactly. The story's gonna get better. I swear. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I still move forward with with selling my house, um, and it sold in a week. Um, at a loss, but you know, I had three offers and that seemed like the best I was going to get because we were st- it hadn't recovered from the recession as much as we had hoped, but you know, I still had equity in the house. So, um, I sold half my stuff, put the rest in storage and threw, threw a few duffel bags in the back of my old Jeep Wrangler and set off to see the 18 States I hadn't been to yet. I was on the road for first four months and I ended up being gone for over a year <laughs> on this like wild adventure. Um, just seeing as many national parks as I could. I went to Yellowstone, Grand Teton, um, White Sands National Monument, which is the, the weirdest place I've ever been to in my entire life. It's just like you sled down dunes of sand. And, you know, it's just bizarre. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. It's in New Mexico. And it's the, it's the town next to it has the world's largest pistachio. Because <laughs> there's nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pistachios and sand dunes. That's fascinating. That part of the world is, uh, is, or that part of the country is really interesting with some of the um, rock formations and all that good stuff. Out yeah, there. Just I went in, to, in Bryce and it's just I went wild. To Bryce. I went to Bryce. I went to Zion. Capitol Reef was my favorite, probably because it wasn't, it was around 4th of July. It was really crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I went to Vegas and like hung out at a topless pool. I flew to Hawaii. I walked on volcanoes. <laughs> um <laughs> The topless pool was interesting. They're just boobs. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's and so when I drove to California last year, I was in Las Vegas and went to the same place. <laughs> anyway. Vegas is a fascinating place. I was I was also just there, and I flew from Vegas to, to L.A. And I'll tell you, the people that are on the flight from Vegas <laughs> to L.A., <laughs> let me tell you, those are some interesting people. <laughs> well, the, I was t- advised to fly to Hawaii from Vegas because I was told Hawaiians love to gamble and there were a ton of flights. I mean, it, it really was cheap. Um, and I didn't want to drive as far as LA, which was the other option because I've been to California. So mm-hmm. I didn't need to get California. Um, Hawaii was the tricky one. I'd already been to Alaska. Thank God. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, in Iowa, um, I stayed with my college roommate who lives in Boise and, you know, I was still, it was about six months after, uh, my first dog died and I had dog sat in 
Morrison, Colorado, which is near Denver on the 4th of July. Um, I was part of a dog sitting service. Like you could stay at somebody's house for free, mm-hmm. watch their dogs, which was great. Cause I didn't have to pay for a hotel in Denver on the 4th of July. It's <laughs> amazing. And I was two dogs and I was like, okay, I need to, I need to like, I am going to get another dog. And I started just like looking. I, I had no idea if anybody would let me take a dog. Like, how are you going to tour my house? It's this Jeep. Like, this is, <laughs> it's a good working order. I had the spark plugs replaced since Flagstaff, where I, st- where I stayed with Aaron Strout on my trip. Um, so I had talked to a couple of rescues, and they're like, yeah, no. So in Boise, my college roommate works for a rescue group of um, Havanese dogs, which are like circus dogs. They dance on their legs. Mm-hmm. And so she said, um, let's just go look like gets you used to the process of going to a shelter and like looking at dogs. Cause this is going to be a big thing. And she was right. Like it was, it was overwhelming. And I had met like a little dog who they said, well, she doesn't like anybody, but she likes you. And I'm like, well, yeah, I have to like her though. <laughs> um, and I had met her. And then the next day I said, well, let me think about it. I'll come back the next day. And we went back the next day and I went to play with the dog and she bit me. So that wasn't going to work out. Um, and I got really upset. I'm like, I can't do this. And she's like, okay, okay. And I had to take a backpack to REI to get fixed. Um, my office was in a backpack and it had broken. So I was going to, you know, use the warranty. And I said, well, there's another shelter near there, I think. And it was the Humane Society of Idaho. And she's like, oh yeah, it's near the airport. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> you know where this is going. Um, and so it was bedlam. This place was huge. A lot of big dogs because, you know, we're, in, we're out west. Like, you right. know, there's a not a lot space. of – Right, a lot of space, a lot of big dogs. And I'm pretty sure we were near the end of the kennels, and I see this little dog. Little dog. Like, not as little – my first dog was a Jack Russell. Not that little, but still little. And mm-hmm. I had been thinking about a cattle dog because I wanted a dog to run with me. And I thought, well, okay, she's cute. And my roommate from college said, yeah, let's meet her. And – um the shelter where I volunteer, like you usually have to have a volunteer, like go get the dog to bring out. And they're like, here's the leash. Go ahead. <laughs> so we took her outside to the meet and greet areas and her, this dog's name at the time was Ayla. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. And I've been thinking about Annie as a dog name because that's the name of the uh, Meg Ryan's character in Sleepless in Seattle. And I thought, well, Annie Oakley would make a great, western dog name and so we get her outside and i look at her and I'm like hey annie and she looked at me and i was like oh <laughs> shit now i have to take this dog home <laughs> <laughs> and i found a picture the other day of me in the the you know meet and greet area with her and she's just le- like leaning into me um so that's I gonna meet that's gonna need to be the uh the interview uh main photo yeah it can be i can send it to you <laughs> yeah anyway Anyway, I, this, this does get to mental health, <laughs> but you know, everybody likes the story. So I named her Annie Oakley Tater Tot, um, because she is from Idaho. And then I just took her on the road with me and we traveled. Um, we actually went back to New Jersey because she was, I thought she was injured. It just turns out when she steps wrong, she just goes, eh, and then she's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, this princess who used to live in a field. And then I drove <laughs> back out to get the last three States and I tried living in Boulder. Um, I rented an Airbnb because that seemed like it would be a good fit for me. And, you know, when you're running and running and running from your depression and you don't deal with it, when you stop, guess what happens? It just slams into you. And I was miserable and felt awful. And my grandfather was, my other grandfather was dying. And I was like, forget it. I can't do this. And um, 
drove back home, spent the holidays with my family, went to Florida for a month because I still didn't know what to do. And I was like, oh, sunshine's good. And then I tried to uh, rent a house in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is actually not that far from my friend Chris McDougall, born to run guy, who is one of the best people on the planet. Yes. Um, and I did run with his donkey, by the way. <laughs> that was um, my next question. Yeah, I, I ran with Sherman. I actually ran with Matilda. She's my favorite. She, there's three donkeys in the book. Read that book, Running with Sherman. It's great. And so I'm in this um, farmhouse, this old farmhouse, which I found was infested with mice. There's rat, There's mice poop everywhere. It's filthy. I was like, what am I doing? And it was, I know that it was the day that Avengers Infinity War opened. <laughs> and I was feeling really terrible. And I was having panic attacks. And I... Um, started thinking like, well, who will take care of Annie? I was like, that's really bad. Um, so I said, okay, well, my therapist is not awake right now. Um, I'm going to go see Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Everybody <laughs> dies at the end of that movie. <laughs> you can't make this up. <laughs> no, uh, because I, I go to the movies by myself all the time because I treat it like a treat for myself. And it was right. like, showing of the day dead silence in the theater and then everybody walked out they looked like they were in a daze and i <laughs> called my therapist who i i had seen her for a while and then when i left on this trip obviously i couldn't go in every day i mean once a week and um i broke the lease moved back in with my mom and split between my mom and my dad who live about an hour apart started medication um and really sort of sorted through the trauma of what happened of losing your house mm -hmm. and your, you know, your companion. And I was so angry about everything, which, you know, not just the financial loss, but my home. God, I'm crying a lot today. That's all right. Um, anyway, drugs were great. Legal drugs, not <laughs> illegal drugs. Um, and really helped me sort of, my brain was frantic and I couldn't see through it. And it helped me see through it. Um, and I trained for an ultra my second ultra at that time and um, felt great. Felt great for a while. I ran really well. Um, one of the side effects of that particular medication was weight gain, but I, you know, whatever you want to get healthy. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, then I cracked my leg and had a stress fracture, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm getting up to it um, anyway, but um, running really helped me through dealing with what happened in my house, but then you can't run anymore. And you know what happened? Nothing. I was fine. I wasn't able to run, but I could walk my dog with that dumb boot. Um, and I felt like I had, I had done the work. And um, once I was ready to run again, it was pretty great. I haven't, I've been training sort of, I guess I'd say I'm back to training hard as of January of this year, because once I got the boot off, I couldn't run for a while and um, then I decided to drive cross country. I drove to um, Disneyland and back. Actually, I drove. Well, I drove to Death Valley because that was sort of the the big trip that I wanted to take. And then my dad and sister decided to go to Disneyland, and I met them there and drove back. And it's not really that easy to to keep running when you're driving all day. <laughs> um, and I I'd rather hike with Annie when we stop right. at national parks. Although hiking in Death Valley in June, it doesn't really happen. You just sort of like right. look around. You're walking anyways. And you don't like, hey, it's hot here. And then you yeah. <laughs> then you leave. Um, then you drive to LA. Um, and then 
I drove to Colorado to teach um, a freelance writing boot camp in um, outside of Boulder, and I did some great runs at altitude there. Although the host and I were going to do a fourteener, and I was like, I ran up to twelve thousand feet. I think I'm good. <laughs> um, and then I ran the New York City Marathon with my mom in uh, awesome. November of last year, and her pace for me was. If it was a little bit faster, I could have run. If it was a little bit slower, I could have walked. So just like a, I was like one of those speed walkers right. with like the hips rolling and everything. <laughs> um, so then I thought, okay, well, I did this. I got my mom through this marathon. Now I got to focus on me again. Mm-hmm. And um, between a therapist and a doctor, um, I had gained 25 pounds when I broke my leg um, because I wasn't running so much with the medication side effects. And we found out I had developed high cholesterol mm-hmm. and was on the borderline for high blood pressure. So it was time for me to come off the medication. And um, I did. We left the option open of starting another medication, but I thought, well, let's just, let's just see. And it was a two-month process. And honestly, Jonathan, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it's, uh, I ran a 5K on Thanksgiving weekend, and I was so dizzy I couldn't drive. Wow. Um, and I the side effects are very real. So that's why you can't just stop taking an antidepressant. You really got to taper. And like I call in and check with him with my doctor about how I was feeling. And I kept likening it to climbing the highest, the steepest mountain in the ultra, the last ultra that I ran. Like you can't really see the top, but you know, it's there. Right. Um, and I said, I, I can do this. And I did. And now, um, you know, I think the anxiety of this particular time right now is beyond anything that any of us has ever experienced. Right. So, um, I might be trying to check in with therapy again, but um, got to get through the weekend and see what's what. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. That was, uh, it was, um, I think a lot of people see success stories and they don't see the work that it takes to achieve that success. And so I think it's always important to hear the sort of nitty gritty of how things like that um, play out. Yeah, and I've never uh, really I've never written that story yet. I'm not I haven't been ready to. Um Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you need distance from something that happens in order to put it in a way that it'll share it with other people and have it make sure. sense. So exclusive to your listeners. <laughs> All ten million of them will, will appreciate <laughs> that. Um so one of the things that you mentioned along the way, uh so Actually, I'll back up. So again, to to close the loop on the mental health, I think that yeah. um, awareness is is the first step. Doing something is the second step, and then that continual check in is sort of the the steps taken going forward. Um, my own running last year was uh, the best that it had ever been, paired with like the most the, the most difficult year I had ever had, um, and I my chiropractor made a comment on that and he said, I think your running is going so well because the running is just running. It's not, it's not therapy. You're doing the work in therapy so that your running can just be running. And, and you made the comment about running as therapy and therapy is therapy and whatnot. Um, I think that it's, if, again, it's like, it's a fine line because it's not always accessible for people as you talked about. Um, but if you're if you're using running as therapy, um, maybe think about at least having a conversation with with a mental health expert. Right. Um, and I because, had written a piece that they titled "Running as Therapy," and I hated that title. Yeah. 
and people uh, were mad about it, but there's nothing I could do. We don't write our titles, right, guys. Right. Sorry. Anyway, sorry I interrupted you. No, it's all good. Um, so, but then again, what you said about, you know, you're getting out for an hour by yourself and that's, that's great. I think especially in a time like today, um, even just like being away from your phone from, for an hour is, yeah. is useful and productive. Um, I saw a tweet from a friend that said, I'm scared to see what, you know, Apple says my screen time is this week. Yeah. I was thinking <laughs> I was, about that too. Yeah. And I was thinking the same thing and it was like, wow, just the, the hour of freedom that you get from your phone, uh, when everything else is so crazy is, is that's, that's therapeutic. I don't know if it's therapy, but it's definitely therapeutic. Um, one of the things you brought up uh, to change the topic a little bit is working from home. So you've been working from home for a while. You work for yourself. Um, I think that that's something that a lot of people could could benefit from knowing how to do a little bit better. Um, my my grandmother is 85 years old and is working from home for the first time in her life. Wow. <laughs> she is she is a high school English teacher and she's using Zoom to <laughs> to teach her her high school boys in um at Yeshiva University in in New York. And I'm just like she told me that yesterday and I I like it it was everything I had in me to not crack up at like picturing her talking to a computer, talking to 30, 30 guys on a computer screen. Um, so what, what tips do you have for people that are working at home for perhaps the first time in their life? Like my grandma is. I did write a piece for the New York times about this, um, that came out Thursday, I think. Um, because I've been doing it for so long, I sort of had to do a gut check of, and I interviewed experts. It wasn't just my experience. Um, because it is sudden, like uh, one of the experts told me, um, and I forget which one, sorry. Um, you know, usually when someone makes a work from home arrangement, there, it, there's planning involved. And right. There's time it's intentional. And there's yeah. yeah it's not just sort of everybody go home. And it's interesting that I've seen it, things that I thought would come up play out. Um, people are home. They don't have any of their cues. Their schedule is all off. They forget to eat. They forget to drink water. They forget to stand up. They forget to go outside. Um, you have to schedule everything. You have, because like, what is your cue to go get lunch? Like if it's such right. and such walking by your desk at a certain time, that such and such is home on their couch or at their standing desk or hiding from their children in the bathroom. Um, so I tell people, put it on your calendar, like make it an appointment. It's lunchtime or a reminder, get up. Um, if you, if you run every morning, still run every morning. Um, one of the, there's, a, there's always the debate of, should you get dressed? Like, should you put on work clothes? And one of the experts said to start, yes, to start, you should do, try to do your same schedule as you would at work. And then when you're in, once you're into it, you can sort of adjust and see what works for you. Um, when I started running, that really gave structure to my, to my work day. So in the summer, I'll run first. In the winter, I will get up, walk water, feed the dog, um, eat, drink coffee, work for an hour or two, and then I'll go run, and then I come back and have lunch. And like it, it settles into a rhythm. Um, so what I would tell people is, not only for mo- for a lot of people, it's not just you. It's a partner. It's a roommate. It's children. It's going to take some time to sort out what works for everyone. 
Um, I didn't even think about roommates when I first writing the story until I saw like friends in New York who have roommates posting about <laughs> being home with their roommate. Um, it's just going to take time. But I would say try to schedule things. It's really important to be hydrated right now. Um, and I know when you're really into something like I am, when I'm anxious, I lose my appetite entirely. I don't want to eat anything right now, but I make sure that I go into my kitchen and eat something. Um, but yeah, you have to, you have to set up new cues for when you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and I personally like comfy pants because <laughs> why do I work from home other than wearing comfy pants? And that is all I got. Um, the other thing is one of the tips that did, and it didn't end up making it in the story is, you know, usually when you're working from home, and not everyone else's, they're sort of like, oh, you know, the dog might bark or a kid might run in. I'm pretty sure everyone is assuming that's the situation for everybody right now. <laughs> um, so and speaking of which, somebody is sitting by my side right now, staring up intently at me. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, and- I, saw, I, I saw a tweet that said, um, you don't have to apologize for dogs uh, being right. here. It's like, you should probably lead with that. Like, right. hi, there's a dog here. Who would like to see the dog? because most people like dogs. So that's that's a pro tip right there. Um, yeah. The other one I saw, and I think, I can't remember if you posted it or not, but it said in, in groups of more than four, you, you don't need to say goodbye when you, when you end the meeting. <laughs> well, the other thing is, so I do, I interview people all day and right. you know they always set up the WebEx or the Zoom or whatever. I never turn on the video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm usually in my running clothes. (laughs) And it's funny, I I just finished that story and then I got on a a virtual press conference um, for a story I'm writing for Clinical Laboratory News and I didn't realize it was going to be on camera. And it was like all these serious looking journalists and then Jenna (laughs) with her kitchen wall of whatever behind her. And I was like, "Uh, let's turn the video off. But the funny (laughs) thing was I noticed that I was the only person who had natural light Mm-hmm. Everyone else, it was the light of their screens, and I just thought it looked nicer with natural light. So there's my tip. There you go. Uh, but I, I think we're all going to have to figure this out as we go forward. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I feel fortunate to have this work set up. Um, I feel for people who don't want to be doing this, but it's what we got to do right now. Definitely. Um, one, one topic that I like to cover on here is balance, or as uh, I can't remember who put it on Instagram recently. Um, juggling, how do you how do you handle all the different aspects of you know a busy career, having a dog, training or not training, or running, um, life, and all that good stuff? How do you how do you set boundaries and and priorities? I think um, so. After I had my um, the mental health slide, sort of led to my worst freelance year ever. And um, I knew I had to do something because when my work is not going well, nothing's going well because I love Mm -hmm. my job. Like it's one of those things like, would I keep doing it if I didn't have to? Yeah. Most of it, not all of it. Um, But you know, I got to pay the mortgage. Um, Oh, I forget where we were going. Balance. So I had to figure out, okay, what clients do I really like writing for? What kind of work do I really like doing? And once I found those clients, I didn't have to work so hard anymore, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, yeah. I don't work for people who don't pay me on time. Right. I don't work for people who treat me like shit. Like, I work for people who respect me as a professional. And I cannot tell you how much easier that has made my life and freed me up to do other stuff. Um, and I think that part of it is is just checking, is this working for me? 
am I spending too much time on it? Um, the other thing about figuring out what I'm going to do now with running was I think I was running too much and it overtook my life. I think my balance was off. Um, so I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do next. Now I am signed up for a 50K on the 4th of July. Whether or not that's going to happen, who knows? Um, but I think it's if, if you're feeling overwhelmed examining what you're doing and are, is this working for me? Would less work? Would more work? Um, and am I happy doing it? Like running as much as I was, I don't think I was really that happy before I, I cracked mm-hmm. my leg. Like I, I was seeing results, but I just, it was too much. It was just taken over too much of my life and there was pressure to do more and I, I just couldn't do it. And I think, well, then you end up with a stress fracture and you realize, oh yeah, you were right. Like this was too much. Um, and you know, I don't run for money. I mean, it is part of my work life, obviously, although, you know, my aunt was really worried that the New York times was going to take my column away when I was injured. Um, <laughs> I ended up writing, writing a lot about injury, which is a huge part of this sport. Right. Um, you know, and even more relatable than achieving great results. Right. And, you know, the reason that the running column is in the well section and not the sports section is that it's for everybody. We're not, right. you know, we cover pros, but, but we're trying to help our readers be, be better runners and happier runners. And I think, you know, having the stress fracture really sort of, made me hit the reset button and reconsider where running is in my life. You know, I'm turning 40 this year. And, you know, I thought about trying to break four hours in the marathon and I thought, I don't have the motivation to do this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that brings me joy anymore. I just want to get out there and run for a really long time in the woods with a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, and if it's not working, you know, how do you change it? So running less right now is how I changed it. That's awesome. I think that that's um, that's great advice and probably a good place to wrap. So, um, if people are looking to follow along with your running and writing, uh, where can we find you on the internet? So, my website is Jen A Miller, just like the beer, J E N A M I L L E R dot com. Um, when you get to that website, there will be a link where you can drop your email address in for my newsletter which is called Notes from a Hired Pen. It's a lot about freelancing, although the last edition was just about recommendations for coping with anxiety. Um, my Twitter handle is by Jen A. Miller, B-Y-J-E-N-A-M-I-L-L-E-R, and that's probably it. Awesome. One last question. What do you wish people knew about you? I can solve a Rubik's Cube. Wow. And how long? Oh, I haven't done it in a while, like two minutes? Wow, that is impressive. That is definitely a fun fact. All right, Jen, thanks so much for uh, for joining in today and uh, excited to share this one. Thanks so much. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.